0: Well, hello, my name is Josh Valdix. I'm one of the pastors up in Williamsport at New Life OPC. And it is a pleasure to be with you all um, with such a joyous occasion as well. Usually I'm here when your pastor's sick, so being here for a uh, delivery is uh, much happier. Um, Let's go to our Lord in prayer as we um, prepare to hear his word and what he has to say to us. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us, Lord, that you have um, revealed yourself to us in your word, Lord, and in your Son. Lord, we pray, Lord, that as we read your word, Lord, that you would meet us in it, Lord, that you would not leave us alone and isolated, Lord, but that we would come into your presence, um, Lord, that you would, would speak to our minds and to our hearts, that we might not be able to um, escape the word you have for us, and Lord. We pray, Lord, that we would see you in clarity and and beauty, Lord. That we would hear you, and Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Our texts, and I guess we stand here. So, if you would like to stand as we um, do these scripture readings, are first reading is from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 54, and this is the flip side of uh, one of the most famous texts in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, which is um, the, the song of the suffering servant. You can. Thank you. you. All right. This is the flip side of um, the song, which is so often read at Easter time. Let me lower this. And other, other parts of the year, um, which speaks to the suffering of Jesus Christ, that he was a lamb led to the slaughter, that like a sheep before his shears, he was silent, that he died for our iniquities, that he was crushed for our transgressions. And in Isaiah 54, we get the result of that. And so here we, we hear these words. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the child of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords. And strengthen your stakes, for you will be spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offering will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood, you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband's, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirits, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart, the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. This is the word of God. And our New Testament reading comes from Isaiah or from First John chapter four, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. But this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of God. You may be seated. there is no doubt that among all of the Christian virtues, love reigns supreme. As it's stated in 1 Corinthians 13, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Supremely the supreme Christian virtue, because... In love, we image the God who is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love, as John says to us in this letter. And yet, as we seek to define what love is, we quickly run into difficulty that the word love is seemingly used to describe a million different things in a million different ways. I love Taco Bell. I love my wife, right? Very different statements using the same word love. If you go down south, there's a gas station called loves. Um, And it's why there's so many different ways of saying love. Someone once said, love is a many-splendored thing. In tennis, love means nothing. In marriage, it means everything, and in between, it can mean anything at all. The unifying principle, though, seems to be between all these different kinds of declaration of love is the reality of a lover and a beloved. One who loves and one who is loved. And yet, I think we must also say that love calls forth a response, that the lover's love demands to be reciprocated, that the beloved must love in return lest that love simply become obsession or infatuation. You can think of any middle school crush. Right. What, what matters the most is that they like you back. Right. And, and, and so we care about whether we are loved in return. And we we care so much. And in, in fact, one one common saying in, in English uh, comes from caring about this. Uh, it's actually from the 1400s in, in Germany called the Daisy Oracle. It's the repeated couplet. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He he loves me not while picking the daisy, waiting to see whether he loves me or he doesn't love me. And the sad reality is this is how many of us often act with God. That that the, the whims of whether God loves us we we resort to some kind of flower magic or something of the sort in which some kind of oracle can can reveal to us whether god happens to love us on that day or whether he doesn't does god really love me the question is unsettling and even more unsettling is how often we use our own criteria to try to determine the answer. I've just received a promotion at work. He loves me. I have to file for bankruptcy. He loves me not. After all these years of trying, we're having a child. He loves me. I've just found out I can't get pregnant. He loves me not. I've been cancer-free for five years. He loves me. They just found a spot on my lungs which must be removed with surgery. He loves me not. I'm finally getting married. He loves me. I'm still single. He loves me not. Do you live like this? Do you live with uncertainty, apprehension, oscillation, unpersuaded that God loves you. Perhaps because of your insignificance, because of your moral failure, because of your idolatry, your dark past, or your present sin. Does He love you or does He not? In this passage, as we come to John's word, John is teaching us that we don't need to live our lives this way that, that we don't need to live wondering whether God loves us that God doesn't want us to live this way that it's rather the devil in our own sin which causes us to think in such ways, oscillating between God's favor and God's Disfavor between God's love and God's hatred. We know this because God has gone to great length to show us that He does love you. In this sermon, I want to look at three things in this passage. This passage will be looking again in, in the evening for um, slightly different reasons. But, but here I want us to first look at this God who is love. And then look at how this God tells us that he loves us. And then third, how God shows us that he loves us. So first that this God is love on two occasions in this chapter John makes an astounding claim. God is love. God is Love. We don't merely read that God is loving or that God loves, but rather John is drilling down deeper than that, into the nature, into the essence of things, into God's being in himself. When human words are discovered to be feeble, frail, and fragile, where human thoughts find themselves inadequate, where human declaration becomes Mere lispings, in the words of John Calvin. And in this place, John finds it most suitable to say that God is love. That love is at the very core of his being. And because of this, we should never be surprised about how often Scripture speaks about God's love for it, people. It does so without shame, without any sense of embarrassment or any kind of irony or sentimentality. When when we find this amazing statement, God is love, we are finding the core of, of what Scripture is trying to communicate to us about our Lord. What we find here in John in this fascinating grammatical construction that God isn't simply loving, that God is love. We find only two statements similar to it in the entirety of the New Testament. First, God is one. And second, God is light. God is love. as we come to understand god's love to us we must first john teaches us learn that god is love in himself that god's love that god loves without waiting upon a response without counting the cost without measure and without end god we say is in praises and thanksgiving is love without borders perfect gift most generous Giver without envy, without limit or pale love, stronger than all refusal or rebellion, a love stronger than death. That God is love means He is His love is gloriously free, unique, and everlasting. As Paul teaches us, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is love. We could... Scarcely find a rival to this hymn of love. There's no wonder even secular sources quote this hymn even today. The love praised here the most excellent way. Often I think we fail to notice even how, how often we read it at weddings, how often we read it in church. We fail to notice that in this speech about love, there is no beloved at all spoken of that paul's love is supremely invulnerable impervious to faults in others it is constant and unchanging that the love that paul describes here is a love which which is only from god who is unchanging and constant In all its ways, the the love Paul describes is simply victorious. Nothing discourages, defeats, or dissuades it. In all things, this love remains unflinching, undeterred. It is supremely confident, twinned with hope and trust. We find here love presented apart from all self-seeking, All the difficulties which infect our love. Love uh, love apart from anger or resentment, which so often course through even our most ardent loves. Love which is apart from what we so often might term the cold, hard facts of life. Ingratitude, unsuitability, meanness... Love, Paul tells us, simply withstands, it endures, it triumphs. It abides as the greatest, the uncontested, the supreme. Love is constant, thoroughly itself, unswerving and true. In all these things, as Paul describes love, we find something is simply another name for the god who is love god alone is this love this more excellent way we could hardly expect anything else god's passionate love paul tells us is invulnerable in just this particular way to us into our loveless ways it is supremely independent of us and our indifference. It is utterly triumphant over our blindness, instability, and infidelity. It is zealous for the right and the eternal. This is divine love. This is divine passion. This is victorious love. It is the one love triumphant over every defilement, every injustice, and human cunning. It, is, it defends the orphan and it lifts up the widow. It is fierce in mercy and in raging in injustice. This divine love waits on no one, needs nothing, bends to no condition or limit. Love that is God is scorching through infinite spheres, boundless in eternal holiness. Love crowns the divine perfections as it abounds. In this description of love, we hear nothing of jealousy or envy, nothing of weakness or torment. No shame, no retreat, no hesitation before battle or death. God is free from all of that. And because he is free from all of that, he constantly loves. And at every turn, he simply continues to love. God is free. Love. God is love before he spoke creation to existence. God is love in the wake of human sin. God is love when we are at our worst. God is love. The payout of that is that when God loves you, he loves you with a changeless, unconditioned love. Love not dependent on getting anything out of you. Love which precedes you and by loving speech created you. God is love. And God speaks of His love for you again and again. In relationships, we we are so quick to ask why? Why do you love me? Right, right. Why do you love me? And the the list of items that that are are given after asking that question are are never enough just to, to satisfy us as, as to why that that person might love us well you're you're handsome or beautiful you're smart and funny and then you 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 do the math and you're like well out of 8 billion people on earth that seems to describe at least uh, one or two right and, and so, so so the the this, this questioning why do you love me it, it's it's something that, that that we we desire of other people and, and yet it, it's something that that is crushing when asked because because the love which which stems simply from, whom that person is is something which is feeble and frail. When we're old and, and start to get grumpier, uh, perhaps they, they'll love us less. When, when we when we start to lose our looks, they'll they'll love us less. And, and yet, the love God describes for His people is something far different. We read this in Deuteronomy chapter seven, right? Right after God has led the people out of. Egypt, Moses tells this to the people. Deuteronomy 7 7. The Lord did not care for you and choose you because there were many of you. You are the smallest nation of all, but the Lord chose you because he loved you. Right, so so what, why did God love Israel? And the answer is a tautology. Why did God love you because he loved you? Why, why does God love you because he loves you? It's a redundancy. He's just saying the same thing. The Lord loves you not because you're smart, not because you're strong, not because you're successful, upright, or pure. The Lord loves you because he has loved you. As the novelist Marilyn Robinson puts it in her book, Gilead, love is holy because it is like grace. The worthiness of its object is never really what mattered. Why does God love you? Because he loves you. This language of romance works. And if you fail to believe this tautology that God loves you because he loves you, your trust in God's love for you will always be insecure because you will never be good enough to ensure in, in your own mind that God loves you. You will never be able to make yourself beautiful enough to convince yourself that God loves you. You will, will never be able to be stable enough to convince yourself that every waking moment God Loves you. Right? So often in earthly loves, it it is all about performance. Right? When, when you first start a relationship with someone, you're on your best behavior, and, and you're, you're trying to convince them that you're someone who is lovable, right? When I first started dating Chloe, she, she, she's taller than, than most, most girls, and, and so I started wearing these shoes that had a slightly larger, larger lift than, than my other shoes. Why? So that she would think I'm taller than I am. And, and, and so I, I wear these shoes every day. So she's like, oh, he's got to be six feet tall. <laughs> and and, and, and so, so in these ways, we're trying to make ourselves lovable only to be discovered to be frauds. Why does God love you? It's because he loves you. There's so many times we fail to be beautiful. There's so many times we fail to be lovable. There's so many times when when if love was simply based on the worthiness of the object that love couldn't help but oscillate. It couldn't help but change day to day. We just bought a cat, and I I didn't want the cat, but it it came into our our house uh, after after purchasing it, and it's cute and cuddly, so I find it lovable in in some way, and and, and yet today is the first day we've let it roam the house freely, um, not just closing it in one room, and so perhaps when we get back, that cat will have torn apart the house and I will be angered and no longer love it in any way and want to take it back to its owner, right? That's, that's human love, right? Something that is contingent upon other things. And, and yet, when, when we hear God speak at, to, to, to his people, to his people who are so often unlovable, so often unfaithful, so often unworthy, we hear words like this. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. God's passionate love for His people, for humanity, is a forgiving Love which loves the unlovable, which loves those who at times appear to be partially lovable and other times seem to be creatures of wrath. It is so great a love that God might love us to the end, to the uttermost. Here we see a dim figurement of the mystery of the cross, that so great is God's. Love for man, that by becoming man, he follows him even into death and so reconciles himself with man by his love. God loves you. God loves you, his people. God loves you when you seem unlovable, when you know you're unlovable, when you're running from his love. God loves you. Finally, God doesn't only tell us he loves us he shows us his love that God's love has been displayed in human history it's Jesus who points this out to us when he says greater love has no greater object than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends God, loved from eternity past, but that love has been displayed in time in the history of Calvary's cross. As John says in our passage in verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Love is the source of the Gospel. It flows from the very heart of God who sent His Son to redeem us. Love is the substance of the Gospel as it is demonstrated in the Son of God who gave up His life for you on the cross. Love is the power of the gospel as it melts hard hearts. It is what sets us free from slavery and self-centeredness as God sends his spirit of love into our very souls. And love is the goal of the gospel, that we might share that very life of love with God himself within the Trinitarian life of eternal love. As John tells us elsewhere, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When we say God is love, we might think it's because God loves so much or God loves the world or it's because of the sheer vastness or wideness of God's love. And yet, John tells us again and again that God is love to ensure us, that God's love is a love which stoops so low. That in God we find a love that is not caused by a compelling beauty of its object, but rather we find a love which is uncaused, uninfluenced, unconstrained by any worthiness outside of himself. With God, we find a love which produces beauty in its object. God loves you not because you are beautiful, not because you are worthy, but when you experience it, God's love, God's love will make you beautiful. When we were unable to help ourselves at the right time, Christ died for us. Although we were living against God, very few people will die to save the life of someone else. Although perhaps for a good person, someone might possibly die. But God shows his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. The great novelty of The New Testament, the newness of the New Testament does not lie so much in the figure of Christ Himself who gives flesh and blood to those concepts. It lies in in, not in the idea that God is love, but in Christ, who gives flesh and blood to those concepts. Who who puts flesh and blood to the reality that God is. Has loved you. He has loved you unto death. That God goes after the stray sheep. That God goes after a suffering and lost humanity. That he loves to the uttermost. When Jesus speaks in his parables of of the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep, of the woman who looks for lost coin, of the father who goes to meet and embrace a prodigal child, those aren't merely words. They constitute an explanation of God's very being and activity. They they, they speak to to Jesus' death on a cross as the culmination of who God is. Is the culmination of the reality that God is love. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. God loves you. And that love was displayed in a breathtaking fashion. It was signed, sealed, and delivered for you on the cross. Someone once quoted Augustine saying, although if you search Augustine's works, he doesn't say this, but, but someone it's a good quote nonetheless, that the cross is a pulpit from which is preached God's love to the world. That the cross is God's pulpit where he is telling you, I love you. God loves you. Jesus loves me, this I know. Do you define God's love for you in the same way He does? Unshakable, sacrificial love which abides. Unchanging, unquenchable love. Love of the cross. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. This is God's desire for you, that you look to the Gospel, that you look to Christ, and that you know that God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, You are the One whom before all Creation, Lord, spoke it into existence out of love. Lord, you are the one whom, when we have fallen and run and hid from you, have pursued us to the end. Lord, that as we grasped at death and death clung to us, Lord, you entered death, Lord, that we might be freed from it. Lord, that in our sin, Lord, you came and you picked us up and washed us off. Lord, help us to know that you love us. Lord, help us to not hide from this fact. Help us not to run from it, Lord, but to embrace it and run to you, our great lover. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would make these truths so clear to us. Lord, may we never forget, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.